Everybody loves the touchdown. Throws to the back of the end zone, and it is touchdown by Holmes. The grand slam. Fly ball to center field. Ethier has done it again. It's a grand slam. The buzzer beater. Gets it to LeBron for three for the win. Yes! But how did those players get to that moment? And who built the venue and signed the contracts? We dig into the business side of sports and give you the answers. This is Sports Business Radio, powered by Postano. Now, from our studios in Portland, Oregon, with Sports Business Radio, here's your host, Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show dedicated to covering the business side of sports. We're happy to be powered by our friends at Postano. Follow them online at postano.com or on Twitter at Pistano. Coming up on this week's show, an in-depth conversation with the editorial director for the Players Tribune and Jeter Publishing, Gary Honig. Both platforms have been launched in the last year and a half or so by former Yankees great Derek Jeter, along with the Players Tribune president, Jamie Messler. If you've been listening to this show for the last few weeks, you know that we're excited to announce that the 2016 Sports PR Summit is presented by the Players' Tribune. It'll take place at their headquarters on Tuesday, May 17th in New York City to receive an invite to this exclusive event for 125 senior sports PR executives from across the sports world. Get in touch with us at sportsprsummit.com, sportsprsummit.com. Super excited about the partnership. And Brian Griggs, our executive producer, I really enjoyed my conversation with Gary Honig. If you look at what they're doing and the ability of the athlete to tell their story directly to fans and consumers, it's really changed the model. And if you look at what's happening with the mainstream media, Griggs, I mean, we've talked about this a lot on this show. It's certainly on the decline. The resources aren't there. The money isn't there. Newspapers haven't figured out how to monetize uh, the lost revenue from those classified ads that used to be run in the newspaper. Um, so really enjoyed the conversation with Gary, and I think everyone will enjoy it this week. Yeah, it's a great conversation, and uh, it's really cool bringing you know to light um, this, the athletes, but not just the sports, but the stuff that they do behind the scenes and the things they have interest in outside of the baseball diamond or whatever sport they're in. And I think uh, as viewers and as fans, we really soak that up because you know it's not just on the field. They they are real people and they they live real lives, and it's cool to find that out. And this is a great opportunity to get uh, athletes out there in that way. Yeah, they've done some really amazing pieces that we'll talk about with Gary. Gary's background, too. I mean, he's been uh, a really top-notch editorial director for a long time. He spent 20-plus years at ESPN. He was working with ESPN the magazine and ESPN Publishing. So having him on board from day one at the Players' Tribune has been certainly a a big help to them and the credibility. And you know, Derek Jeter, the business person post-career, has certainly put a great team together at the Players' Tribune with Jamie Messler and Gary Honig and Alex Rose and a few other people there that are the brains behind it. And then, you know, Derek Jeter's a guy who he certainly will weigh in, but he's not a guy that's going to, like, call one of his uh, athlete friends on the phone and say, hey, I really need you to do this or pressure anyone. He's let people come to them and they form some nice relationships with Blake Griffin and Russell Wilson and uh, other people who have been contributors to their site. 
Yeah, and, and Jeter's so, so respected, too, as an athlete, right. as a person. I think everybody loves the guy and wants to work with him. And, and like you're saying, people are coming to them because it's Jeter, and he's, he's great not just in baseball but a businessman and, and uh, personality. It's, it's phenomenal. Well, and he's kind of like Michael Jordan in a way that he transcends sports. So it's right. not just when he walks into a room, he could walk into a business meeting. He could walk into any meeting. He could walk into the room with the president of the United States, and, and you know he has a presence and he commands the room. There's not a lot of iconic athletes like that out there. So certainly a great venture for them. And again, looking forward to the conversation with Gary Honig this week. So Griggs, a few things. One, earlier in the week, I had the opportunity to go down to Bandon Dunes on the Southern Oregon coast. One of my favorite golf resorts. I played Bandon Dunes one day and Old McDonald the next day. And if you saw my picture at SB radio, and I actually even periscoped a few uh, shots from there too, but Griggs, I almost had a hole-in-one, the par-3 fifth hole. I was about two feet from the hole. It rolled right by the hole. I've never had a hole-in-one before, so I was pretty excited. And the other thing is you have caddies out there, and I was playing with the guy from Bandon Dunes, Michael Chupka, who's going to be on our show uh, next week. So I did it in front of some people. It's not just legend. It was actually witnessed, and uh, I was pretty proud of myself. That's great, and, and that, those—I mean—that that is an awesome resort. Oregon's one of Oregon's finest, and it's just a cool area, and uh, it's gorgeous. I mean, like you said before, playing anywhere where you've got the ocean staring at Man. you is phenomenal. It's and the coastal views from Bannon Dunes, any of their courses, are just yeah. amazing. And then they've gotten it right down there. The lodging is great. The food is great. Uh, you know, it, it's just a really good place all the way around, and. We'll talk to Michael Chupka of Bannon Dunes on the show next week. By the way, that dude can play. He's a stick. He birdied five holes in a row. By my count, he was three under for his round. So, you know, I was joking, like, if you're the PR guy for Bannon Dunes or any golf course, you can't be a hack like me. Like, you've got to be a stick if you're going to be taking people out to play golf all the time. Like, you can't be out there shooting a 100. Uh, no. So, but you know what? All things considered, my round at Kapalua a few weeks ago and my rounds at Bannon Dunes for not playing in a year, I was pretty pleased with the way I played. My my philosophy on golf right now, Griggs, is as long as I don't embarrass myself because I don't play very often anymore. And when I play these really nice courses, I don't want to hit it in the ocean and I don't want to yeah. worm burn it the whole time. Just <laughs> hit some decent shots. And I hit some good shots, including that one that I just told you about. So, you know, it shows that I still got some flashes of brilliance left in the uh, in the old magic bag. I love it. And you didn't throw any clubs in the ocean. That's Of course good. not. No, no club throwing. Uh, the caddies were really nice. I had a caddy named John who I uh, talked to on Twitter this week and. You know, that's another thing. The caddies there. So I don't play any other course in the world where you have caddies. And when you go there, it's part of the experience and the caddies are great. They, they help you, uh, you know, read putts. And if your ball is in the, the stuff on the end, the gorse, uh, they'll help you find it. Luckily I wasn't in there, but I was in the sand a few times. I had one hole where I was in the sand trap three different times on. <laughs> so, I mean, there's that many sand traps on the, on the course, sure. but, yeah. uh, you know, they're great. And then they have great stories too. I mean, the, the guy that was my caddy has been out there for a number of years and they've seen a lot of the development. And so I always like going there because the caddies make the experience even cooler. Yeah, definitely. So a few headlines for the week. Golden State Warriors guard and NBA MVP 
Steph Curry has extended his endorsement deal with Under Armour through 2024. This is according to the Baltimore Business Journal. So originally, Steph Curry signed with Under Armour in 2013. He had been with Nike. And, uh, you know, look, when you're the MVP and you had a year like he did, obviously, if you're Under Armour, you're like, hey, if this guy is a multi-winning MVP or turns into a multi champion like let's lock him in now and you know they got in low on curry in 2013 and i think they're doing the same thing now but they know that they want steph curry along with tom brady and jordan spieth to be kind of the mount rushmore endorsers for under armor and i have to give under armor a lot of credit i mean if you look at especially spieth and curry they got in at just the right time with those two athletes i'm sure brady cost them a ton of money because he had already won Super Bowls, but Steph Curry and Jordan Spieth hadn't won anything. And Under Armour identified them as athletes who they wanted to be the face of their company moving forward. And it's certainly paid dividends so far. Yeah. And I mean, look at Under Armour. They've just kind of come up from, from nowhere, really. And they are competing now. I mean, you know, you see their stuff around more. And like you said, they've got two of the top athletes that people are seeing all over the place now with Curry and and Spieth. And, uh, you know, props to them, like you said, getting in early like that, too, and now locking them down with long contracts. Speaking of big names changing shoe companies, Aaron Rodgers has changed from Nike to Adidas. So that's a big deal too, especially NFL wise. You know, Adidas had RG3 for a while there as one of their main guys. And what they did last year, Griggs, is they made a deal with the NFL. So they don't have the uniforms. Nike has those, but they made a deal where uh, some of their endorsers can wear their cleats on the field. So. That's been good for them. And, and, you know, so Aaron Rodgers can wear Adidas shoes on the field. His uniform may say Nike, but Aaron Rodgers also, uh, NFL MVP. NFL is the most popular sport. So I'm sure that cost them a ton of money. I mean, I was thinking about this. If Adidas just paid James Harden $200 million, they're probably paying Aaron Rodgers more than that because he plays in the NFL and he's the MVP. So Aaron Rodgers just made a big, big, uh, decision to switch and I'm sure it's going to pay him a hefty sum. Yeah, I'm sure that's going to be nice. Like you said, with Harden, too, $200 million. I mean, Adidas is, is right there, too. They're making big moves, and uh, especially in NFL, because I know they've they've been doing a lot trying to, you know, obviously Nike's got the uniforms, but like you said, they're doing a lot of the shoes and the equipment type stuff, and, uh, you know, they're right there, too. Adidas also made a deal this week with the NHL. So they will outform, uh, they will uniform the NHL for the upcoming season and beyond. So, yeah, always interesting to see these league deals. So Adidas... You know, let the NBA deal go by the wayside. Nike did that deal. So Nike's got deals with the NFL and the NBA. And Adidas has chosen to do business with the NHL. And they've also focused on some uh, individual athletes. So uh, another headline this week, someone that I've actually worked with, Steve Patterson is out at the University of Texas as their athletic director. But Griggs, where do we sign up for this deal? Even though he's out, He's still going to be owed $5.6 million from the University of Texas. So dude can go play golf and hang out and travel and do whatever he wants. And he's still got $5.6 million coming to him. He was only on the job for 22 months at Texas. Anyone who has worked with Patterson like I have knew that that was a doomed relationship from the get-go. Yep, I think you're right. And poor Patterson, I mean, it seems like the black cloud follows him anywhere he goes. And uh, But hey, 22 months, $5 million now, you're not even going to be working there? Not bad. Well, here's what I said on Twitter. And again, I've, I've worked with him personally. So this is not from hearsay. 
Um, he's a guy that grinds on people after about 12 months. So, uh, after the, the charm wears off and, you know, he's great in interviews and he's good at convincing people. He also wants to run athletic departments like a corporation. He did that at Arizona State. He did that at Texas. Um, he kind of wanted to professionalize those athletic departments. And I'm not saying that's bad, but it didn't set well with some alums, with some of his colleagues that he worked with. Um, you know, I do give him credit for two hires that he made. Um, the football coach and the basketball coach are both minorities. And I think that's important. We don't have enough minority hires. So I give him credit there, but, uh, Steve Patterson out at the University of Texas. And I think he just rubbed a lot of people the wrong way and also tried to make that department a little bit more, uh, professional than maybe they wanted to be. And I'm not saying, you know, they shouldn't be organized. I'm saying professional. Remember, this is amateur athletics and there's still a lot of alums that, you know, want to, want it to remain amateur athletics. Last headline of the week, John Skipper, who is the head of ESPN. He's their president. He has quietly renewed his deal to remain at ESPN for at least three more years. This is interesting and kind of ironic, Griggs, because there have been so many high-profile people that have left ESPN over the last year. Keith Olbermann, Bill Simmons, Colin Coward, who's my friend, just to name a few. And here's John Skipper re-upping, and I'm sure he's going to get paid a hefty sum of money. But you know, the people I talk to who are either at ESPN or who used to work at ESPN, it's all about Disney wanting to maintain those profit margins and they're not willing to pay for big talent anymore. Thus, they let Bill Simmons walk and Colin Coward walk and uh, a few others. And the guy in the president seat, as we see so often, well, he's not taking a pay cut. Yeah, exactly. The top dog continues to roll. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's kind of interesting, like you're saying, because ESPN definitely has had some, some change over this last year, last couple of years. And yet he's remaining the same, so they must like how you know the changes that are happening must be good and, and approved by everybody underneath him because uh, they signed him up again. So who knows? We'll see what happens. Uh, what do you think of the football season so far? It's always fun. I mean, the NFL is great, and uh, college football, I can't complain. I love watching it, and uh, it's fun having it You know, Thursday, Monday, Sunday. It's good. I love it. We've had Heisman Trophy winner Marcus Mariota on this show. i got to tell you, I'm not surprised by many things. I thought he'd be solid. I had no idea he would have the historic debut that he had on the road in Tampa. Four touchdowns, no interceptions, leads the Titans to a victory. I think he was 13-16 throwing the ball. He looked like he was playing at Oregon and yeah. you know ran an efficient offense. You go 13-16, four times. I mean, you're throwing 16 passes and four of them are, are touchdown passes. Not bad uh, at all. Yeah, not looks- bad at all. I mean, <laughs> he... He makes it look easy at any level, and I'm sure it's going to get harder for him. And like I said, I was surprised after watching him in the preseason. I thought he would do well, but I didn't see that debut coming. Yeah, I didn't either, but it was it was cool. I know here in Oregon, everybody's loving it, and, and I probably should fold some more jerseys for him <laughs> because uh, oh, yeah. He, uh, he looked great. Yeah, and you know what? He's a super, super nice kid, and those are the types of people that you want to see have success. He does it the right way. He treats people around him with a lot of respect and class, and uh, you know, I I think the Titans, they're seeing that they got pretty lucky to get him with the number two pick. Yep. All right, coming up next, Gary Honig, the editorial director for the Players' Tribune and Jeter Publishing, both platforms launched by former Yankees great Derek Jeter. 
He's going to join me. We'll talk about the Players' Tribune and the state of the media in general. It has really changed in the last few years. We'll talk about that. That's coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Stay in the know at sportsbusinessradio.com. Podcasts, blogs, and more powered by Postano. SBR will be right back. My crew is ill, and all we need is two good wins. Got cash in the tank, cash in the bank, and a bad Hi, it's Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio, but also the founder and CEO of the exclusive Sports PR Summit. The Sports PR Summit is an annual event bringing together senior PR executives from the sports world, national media members, and pro athletes for a full day of panel discussion, featured conversations, and face-to-face networking in New York City. Past speakers have included ESPN reporter Jeremy Schapp, Sports Illustrated executive editor John Wartime, former NFL veterans Tiki Barber and Derek Mason, NBA Senior VP of PR Mike Bass, and other top PR minds from across the sports world. The 2016 Sports PR Summit will take place on Tuesday, May 17th at the Players' Tribune, which is a new digital media platform created and curated by some of the world's top athletes and founded by former Yankees great Derek Jeter. The Sports PR Summit is an invite-only event limited to 125 attendees. If you're a senior sports PR executive and you'd like to be invited to the 2016 Sports PR Summit at the Players' Tribune in New York City, get in touch with us via the Sports PR Summit website at sportsprsummit.com. That's sportsprsummit.com. Follow the Sports PR Summit on Twitter and Instagram at Sports PR Summit and on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Sports PR Summit. I hope to see you at the 2016 Sports PR Summit on May 17th at the Players' Tribune in New York City. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. I think a lot of times people think athletes are one-dimensional. and They don't have any stories or any interests outside of their sports, which is very untrue. And, and uh, for us, when we started this or when the idea came about a couple years ago, um, you know, I just wanted to give athletes the platform that they could be able to share these stories. And we want to give them the tools to enable them to do that. You know, the interest that we've gotten from athletes, uh, male, female, from all sports, all ages, it's, uh, it's been exciting for us, and we're just looking forward to hopefully having it grow. My guest is Gary Honig. He is the editor director of the Players' Tribune. Of course, the Players' Tribune is our partner on the 2016 Sports PR Summit in New York on May 17th. Gary, welcome to Sports Business Radio. How are you? Thank you for having me, Brian. Yeah, i really been looking forward to this conversation. So for those people who are unfamiliar with the Players' Tribune and how it got started, tell us the story of how the idea was conceived. Uh, the idea was originally conceived by Jamie Messler, who was our president and at the time was the chief marketing officer for the Excel agency, which uh, represents, among others, Derek Jeter. And it was her idea that uh, it might be a worthwhile project to give athletes the opportunity to set their own narratives as opposed to those that were filtered by conventional media. Um, and she had the uh, fortune, Derek's misfortune, to be able to talk to him during the next to last season of his career because he was hurt for much, much of that and was already beginning to think about what he would do when he finally retired from the Yankees. And uh, by the time that actually happened, which was roughly a year ago, they were ready to roll. And so I think we announced uh, the day after he retired from the Yankees, um, and it's been one year uh, that we've been operating. So that's that's the origin story. So you personally spent 20-plus years at ESPN Publishing. You had roles 
including editor-in-chief, general manager, editorial director at ESPN. What attracted you to become the editorial director for the Players' Tribune and for Jeter Publishing? A couple of things. I think um, that the dialogue between players and fans has been, to say the least, disrupted and probably to say, just to be even more dramatic about it, has been poisoned by a quite understandable desire for uh, uh, media people to find audience in a much more competitive world. So that the objectives of, uh, of what an athlete might want to accomplish in talking to his fans or her fans very different from someone who's chasing clicks, who's chasing um, as many people, as many eyeballs as he possibly have. And um, for me, uh, that chase has always been uh, mistaken, that, that there's nothing you can gain uh, with a cheap headline or a cheap opportunity to add audience just for the sake of trying to make a few more ad dollars. It does not enhance the possibility of creating uh, an appropriate role for a media person in a dialogue between fan and, and athlete. Um, and actually, I'm saying this in the kind of way that makes it sound more uh, fancy than it really is. I'm, in general, a kind of a disruptive, uh, counterintuitive guy. <laughs> um, I feel like the media business has always been full of its own myths and likes to think of itself in a certain kind of way without examining itself very much. And there are a lot of hypocrisies built into the way we thought about our relationship with athletes uh, when I was doing it. And I, uh, having experimented with some of this at ESPN the magazine, mostly through my good friend and uh, the guy who succeeded me as editor, Gary Belsky, who had a lot of ideas about how to do this kind of athlete-driven content, I knew we could be successful. I knew you could do it well, and I knew that people were underestimating the ability of athletes to tell their own stories. So one of the questions I get a lot since we formed this partnership with the Players' Tribune is, what is, in fact, the process of an athlete communicating via the Players' Tribune platforms? When I was in New York a few months ago and met with Jamie, I had the opportunity to go through that process and see it firsthand. But can you explain? So if DeAndre Jordan wants to tell a story or Marty Fish or Elena Della Don, how do they communicate what they want to communicate via the Players' Tribune platforms? It's funny to hear you ask that because I read so much about how we actually do things and you're the first person to actually ask me directly. So <laughs> I'm happy to explain. Um, uh, it varies. I mean, there is an ideal way for us to do this, and that is to actually spend some time with an athlete in person um, and get to know them and actually explore with them the things they might want to talk about. In some cases, it's fairly obvious. In some cases, it's not. In some cases, we don't get to do that. We wind up talking to somebody on the phone. Or it's a hurried process, and we're, we're, we're doing a story because there's some urgency to it for one reason or another. But ideally, um, we spend a considerable amount of time with an athlete talking with them about what they want to talk about and then doing what you're doing with me right now, taping an interview. Um, and from that point on, the transcript becomes the manuscript. And we go back and forth. We organize it, obviously. We make it grammatical. We send it to them. They have some input, and we have some input. Um, I've heard a lot of people say that this is radically different from anything else that goes on in journalism. I couldn't be more far from the truth. The, the truth is I've never published an unedited manuscript in my life, and there have been stories written by quite well-known writers in which I would say 20 to 40% of the copy was written by an editor. So there's nothing that radically different about this. Nobody's byline goes on a story unless they agree to the final edit. That's true of writers, and it's true of athletes. It's 
a little more true of athletes than it is of writers, but not dramatically so. In some cases, and we have the most interesting story I can think of is we just ran a story by Matt Duffy, who is a candidate for Rookie of the Year with the San Francisco Giants, um, that got tremendous response. And, of course, the conversation on Reddit about it centered around who actually wrote it. And, again, nobody bothered to pick up the phone and ask, but that's a story that came in over the transom. Um, it's it's a story that came because we had talked to, to uh, Tim Hudson about possibly becoming somebody who worked for us after he retired. And he said, I'm not ready to talk about that, but you guys should really talk to Matt Duffy. And before we had the chance to do that, we got a story from Matt Duffy. Um, and the story that we wound up publishing is probably 80% of what he wrote. So the process varies, but it's much closer to athlete-driven than people think. Yeah, I really like, I mean, there's several stories that stand out to me. I like how Steve Nash did his retirement and the pictures and the video. And, you know, it was really uh, an encompassing type of announcement and, and why he did it. And, you know, from what I've been told, uh, he, I mean, that was all his words. And, you know, the way Jamie explained it to me, sometimes the stories need uh, a lot of editing and sometimes someone will submit something to us and, and we don't need to do very much editing to it. Um, Elena Della Don, boy, the story of the relationship with her and her sister is fantastic. Amazing, right? Unbelievable. Uh, Marty Fish, his story about his anxiety disorder. I just love the fact that there's now a platform where athletes can really tell their story in an honest, candid way and not have the fear that their words are going to be misinterpreted or misrepresented. I think the uh, the word authenticity is thrown around a lot right now, but I actually think this is the timing for the idea of sincerity and authenticity as truly presented could not be better, that people are, are seeing through a lot of what is presented as authentic and want the real thing. And they're also, I think, ready to have a more direct and emotional relationship with athletes as human beings. And so when you're exposed to that, when you actually see it and you feel the authenticity of it, and I don't want to beat that over the head because then it becomes inauthentic, but when you read those kinds of stories like uh, Elena's or, or Marty's, um, you feel a different connection to the athletes you see on the court. It was actually wonderful for us to sit in the office and watch the Open and watch people root for Marty in that last match of his. Um, and know that to some degree the story that he wrote had an effect on how the audience viewed him playing. Absolutely. Um, and that's a wonderful thing, actually, when you think about it. And I think that will happen more and more often. Um, and it's, 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 a, it's really a chance for us to tell people, you root for these people because they do extraordinary things on the field or the court, but they're also human beings who have problems that are similar to yours and certainly similar to their fellow athletes. And when you see them in that light, maybe you'll see them in a different way. What's... Um, I, I, Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, what's the feedback you get from athletes who uh, communicate their stories via the Players' Tribune? I'm sure, like you said, they get a tremendous response from that. Do they seem to say, you know, this is what I want to do going forward? And, you know, you still, if you're a pro athlete, you still have to deal with the media on some level. But this has become another option for them. I think a couple of things. We encourage them not to think of us as the as as the only alternative. That is to say, we're trying to in, improve your relationship with media on some levels by saying this is who I am in very definitive terms, and 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 maybe sharpen the questions that are asked of you when you are exposed to the rest of media. Um, and but I think a lot of them begin to think of 
that relationship in a different way. And yeah, they come back and want to do more. I'm thinking specifically of Daniel Carcillo, who was a, a player for the Blackhawks, a hockey player for the Blackhawks, who did an incredibly moving video and story for us on the death of a former teammate who had lost himself in pain and concussion aftermath and wound up committing suicide. And um, that was an amazing story. and got a tremendous response even beyond the hockey world and a positive response in terms of the National Hockey League uh, Players Association determining that they'd like to do more for retired players to make sure they have resources to fall back on when they leave the game. But what was even more amazing, and this story just ran today, is that Daniel has decided to retire from the game and devote himself to exactly that purpose, to create a foundation and services for ex-players who have suffered injury during the game, who are are making a transition out of the game, and to make that transition a little bit easier for them. And I'm not sure that process would have happened for him if he had not been able to tell his story on the Players' Tribune. That's very rewarding. That is very rewarding. Gary Honig, the editorial director of the Players' Tribune, also Jeter Publishing, which we'll get to in a minute. So several months ago, Tiger Woods weighed in on the Players' Tribune. He fired back at a reporter who he thought was unfair uh, with him. Have you had a situation where someone comes to you and they want to weigh in on something and you say, well, maybe our platform isn't the right one for you? We would never say no to anyone. We would talk to people about, caution them about what they wanted to do and whether it was the right thing to do. It's their decision if they want to go ahead, but it, we were in the business of protecting them. Um, and I, I would, by the way, say we're in the business of protecting a writer from saying something stupid as well. So if you if you want to do something that we feel won't better your situation or will actually worsen your situation, um, I think in that case we would try to caution you not to do that. If they wanted to do it anyway, that would be fine. But we're also not um, inclined to want to do that sort of, um, what's the right word, um, grudge settling. And that's not really what this is about. And I don't think people have come to us with that. Now, the David Ortiz story was an example of him just getting fed up with the idea that he had been profiled as a PD user. And that he didn't want—he wanted to go out there and say, "I'm not that person," right? And uh, that that got a considerable amount of, of of feedback, and not all of it positive. But we put him through a pretty rigorous process before he published the story. So, you know, he's out there with it, and um, we feel confident that he's told told us the truth, and we stand on what he told us. So that that was a good experience. There are other situations where, uh, in Matt Harvey's case, for example, in the story we just did recently. We felt it was important to encourage him to get out there and say something in, in the light of the fact that he was being skewered by media for things that he'd said, you know, in, in a in a impulsive situation or in a locker room situation without any preparation. And then to go out there and set the record straight was important for him. And he did it, and I think it helped him. How is Derek Jeter involved in the day-to-day, and does he have any say in editorial that goes out. Does he have the final say where he can put the kibosh on something if uh, he feels like it's not appropriate? Absolutely. Um, in the case of, of some of the more controversial stories we've done, he's been he's read them. He's told us what he thought. Um, he's on every day. He's letting us know what he thinks we should be doing and who we should be pursuing. In some cases, helping us pursue that person. Although I will say this about him, he will never pressure anybody into doing anything for us. Simply get in touch with them and say, "Are you interested?" It's not uh, in his nature to pressure anybody to be part of this, but he is very active in following the news cycle and encouraging us to be more active in following it as well. 
So you guys have already made great progress in, in a very short amount of time. What's the future for the Players Tribune? I've heard, you know, hey, there's going to be more video integrated and we're going to do some different things on social media. What's the future look like for the Players Tribune? I mean, there's so much that we haven't done yet. The, the, the big surprise, of course, is that the athlete response has been so tremendous and widespread. There's been more than 300 athletes who have already contributed to the site. Now the question is, how can we get repeat performance? And how can we expand the tools that we make available for them? And how can we adjust the tools that everyone else is using, podcasts, radio, video, and make them unique to the Tribune and make sure that the voice is consistent across all those platforms? And I think you'll see that rolling out over the next, that's next year's project. And I think some of that's already in the process of happening. I think our POV series has been very successful, video that's just really straight-up raw athletes speaking to the camera, very effective and very much in our voice. Um, but you'll see more of that um, as the year rolls out. Yeah, I believe you did some video with Alan Iverson that I thought was really yeah, was great. compelling. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I love the way it was shot, too. Yeah, I think uh, we have a, a strong video team with Ryan Duffy uh, leading it, uh, a guy that we got. Uh, from Vice, who, used, who, was, who was at Vice and, and led the team that uh, took Dennis Rodman in North Korea. Very smart guy, very creative guy. Um, the quality has been very high, and uh, the people we've gotten to participate have, have been high-level people. I think even Kevin announcing his uh, Kevin Love announcing his return to the Cavaliers on video was a strong piece. Gary Honig, the editorial director of the Players Tribune and Jeter Publishing, is joining us on Sports Business Radio. So in addition to working at ESPN, you've had editorial positions at the New York Times, Washington Star, and Newsday. So this week we see big layoffs at the New York Daily News. And every day I'm seeing stories of newspapers, especially on the local level, that are dying. And terrestrial radio and local TV are declining outside of the big markets. What does this mean for what you're doing at the Players' Tribune and also the future of the media? I mean, again, you're someone who's been in this industry a long time. What do you make of all this change? It's a very difficult adjustment. I mean, you're, you're, you've, you've been doing things a certain way for a very long time, and, and it's very hard to change with the idea in mind that you have to change um, institutions like newspapers, which are difficult to execute on a regular basis. Um, partly because they're so tied to print, um, have trouble adjusting to the digital world, have trouble to making, in, in, in making that a priority and figuring out how to monetize it. I don't know how they solve that problem. And I was shocked to learn today, you know, I used to do a magazine about newspapers. And at the time, and this is only 20 years ago, um, the Daily News had a circulation north of a million and was still not far from the day when they were the largest circul circulation newspaper in the country, that their circulation is barely over 200,000. That's wow. Shocking. Wow. I mean, that's shocking. Never mind that they're losing 20 million. I mean, it's a tough business. And I'm sure that Rupert Murdoch is losing even more money with the Post. But the fact that only 200 and some thousand people are reading the Daily News, that's for an old timer like me, that's really kind of hard to believe. Uh, and I don't know how you really get past it. The, pre the interesting thing for me right now in a, in a world with this much competition is that the premium really is on quality and originality. And we've always said that. We've talked about content is king, blah, blah, blah. The fact is, if you're not different, if you're not original, if you don't have something to say every day that no one else is saying, how are you going to be heard? And, and nobody else seems to be getting that. They just seem to be doing this. Oh, it's the same thing we've always done. 
I, you know, I've asked a bunch of sports editors at a, at, a, at a convention not too long ago, do you really think that walking into a locker room with guys who are half-naked coming off a highly adrenalized experience, win or lose, and sticking a mic in their face is the best way to get a candid answer? <laughs> you still think that? That's really, I mean, if you've been doing this for 50 years, is that the best you can do? And, you know, it sounds like it's a little bit of a pardon the expression, considering I'm talking about locker rooms. No clothes on the emperor here, folks. You're still doing the same thing. Right. Come on. There's got to be a better way to do this. So I, it's very sad for me. I love newspapers. I still love newspapers. I still get the Times delivered at home. Although I've read 90% of it on my iPad by the time I see it. Um, and I find it very sad that they're in that kind of decline. But I don't know how you reverse it without doing some serious thinking about what actually works in the 21st century. Yeah, it's really interesting. I, so many of my friends, especially at the local newspaper level, you know, we call it tricks for clicks. So, you know, you've got to do all these things to get clicks and you're being celebrated if you get clicks. But what's happening is the, the brand new journalism student is replacing the 26 year veteran because that journalism student knows how to get clicks better than the longtime journalist who's just trying to write a, a good story. Well, it's a bigger problem than that, and I illustrated it with a story uh, that ran on ESPN.com not long ago. It was an interview with Chauncey Billups about uh, Carmelo Anthony's leadership capabilities, and Chauncey, who had played with him in two different places, said in this story, which, which was decent, you know, he's not the kind of guy who's going to give a fiery locker room speech. He's uh, not that kind of leader. He leads by example. He gives you 120% in the workout room and the same on the court. He's that kind of leader. Um, and the headline for the story was Chauncey Cohen, Carmelo's not a leader. And I, you know, my comment to the people I showed it to was uh, not that they had actually written this headline. I said, forget about Carmelo Anthony. He plays in New York, so he's used to this kind of crap. But how do you think Chauncey Billups feels about seeing that headline? Does he feel like, gee, I can't wait for you to call me the next time you need a story because I sure want to talk to you again? Right. There's a, there's a, what I said earlier in our conversation, there's a complete disconnect between the clicks for tricks mentality and the idea that you have to sustain a relationship that you cover with people that you cover on a day-to-day basis if you actually want to do a decent job. And without some understanding of the disconnect there, it's never going to work. It just doesn't make any sense. The the sense of, I don't want to talk to you. I mean, Marshawn Lynch is just the tip of the iceberg. Most of these guys are just better at saying nothing so they don't have to talk to you. His social media... You know, again, it, I think it's the Wild West. I see the value in using it, and, you know, I personally use it. But there's a lot of ways things that can be sensationalized and, and misinterpreted. Do you think that's also leading to a decline in quality or authenticity in journalism? Depends on who's using it and why. I think social media, one of the things that makes us valid for or valuable for athletes is that. 140 characters is not the best way to explain yourself on a regular basis. And so if you want to actually start using tools to lay your own narrative out there, it's probably best to use social media at the back end of that, not at the front end of that. So it's really understanding the tool and what it's good for. I don't think it's great for um, building a storyline or responding to what's being said about you because inevitably you're going to lead yourself down the wrong path. Um, what I do think it's good for is getting the message out and building your audience. I mean, for us, we have a potential reach of 100 million, you know, connections on Facebook and among the athletes that we've used. Have we actually begun to, to exploit that in any way? No. It was just at the tip of the iceberg. So 
So if we, if we can, in any point in time, start to expand our story reach by having the right athletes tweet the right stories to their audience, that's going to make a huge difference in how we scale with the kind of content we're doing. But that's using it as a tool to build audience, not as a tool to actually try to explain yourself. I think that's insane. What if you had an owner, a GM, a non-athlete come to you and say, I want to tell my story via the Players' Tribune. Did that work for your model? Depends on the story. We just did a wonderful thing with all the employees in Yankee Stadium. I loved it. Happened. Loved yeah, it. Wasn't it great? Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, as an editor in general, I would say that my frontiers are pretty expandable. Got a good story. I'm happy to hear it. I, I don't think I would take an owner's story. First of all, I, it, it's an interesting problem, right? I'd be a little more suspicious, suspicious about an owner's story in terms of who wrote it, leaving Mark Cuban aside for the moment than I would be about a player's story, to be perfectly honest. But it's also an agenda question. What are you trying to accomplish? If an owner wants to tell you about his first experience at a ballpark and why he became so fascinated by owning a baseball team, sure, I'd love to hear that. Why not? It's a good story. It's a good story. If you're connected to sports, let's tell it. I think it'd be interesting. We've got some collective bargaining agreements coming up in the NFL and NBA in the next few years. It'd be really interesting to hear both sides of those stories, the owner's camp and the player's camp, from someone in each of those camps. Definitely an interesting place to go. Definitely a potentially dangerous place to go. But I'm pretty sure we'll have to figure out how to navigate it. Yeah. So uh, before I let you go, a few things. One, Jeter Publishing. I saw that Rob Gronkowski has published a book via Jeter Publishing. What else do you guys have going on with Jeter Publishing? Uh, right now, a lot of what we have going is in the kids' area. Uh, Derek's got a series of books that started with a book called The Contract, which is about his fictionalized version of his growing up to be a baseball player that's been very successful. Um, there's a couple of other things. There's a, uh, a picture book coming out called Night at the Stadium, beautifully illustrated book that is uh, like a fun story about a kid who accidentally gets lost in the bowels of the stadium and all of the different elements of stadium life come to life. I'm, when I, by that, I mean balls and bats and so on. And uh, he has to find his way back home. Um, there'll be, with us, there, the, the major focus that we're trying to build there is to find adult books that are not necessarily just about sports, but are about figures, people, stories in life that expand on the idea of who Derek represents to the American public. You know, it's a very unusual brand. It rises above the noise of the, the contemporary culture to something much more decent and honest than, than the ordinary story. And I think we can find that sort of heroic story, that sort of um, expiring story, without it being too corny or you know or too uh, simp- simplistic. I think I look at books like Unbroken, for example, or Sea Biscuit, or Boys in a Boat. Those may be lofty goals for a young publishing firm. Those kinds of stories would be the kinds of stories we'd like to tell because we think they're very close to the Jeter brand. Yeah, it's great stuff. And as someone who has a 10-and-a-half-year-old daughter who uh, reads sports books and, and things like that, uh, there's not enough of those out there that are good, in my opinion. So uh, I'll definitely be going to pick some of those up. Great. So last question. Uh, I'm excited about our... Sports PR Summit partnership, May 17th at the Players' Tribune. I know that you guys are going to have uh, a discussion, a 50-minute discussion as part of our event. I hope that you're a part of it. I've 
seen you uh, speak at other events and I uh, think you do a great job. And again, you have a wealth of experience, but uh, just a great team there, Jamie and Alex and uh, Stephanie Rudnick. And, and you know, I'm really excited about the event on May 17th. Me too. I'm looking forward to talking to a lot of people and getting some provocative questions. Um, I'm always happy to speak about what we do here. I'm very proud of it. And it's, by the way, the chance to do this twice, to be part of the team that created ESPN Magazine, and then to do this thing, man, not many people get these kinds of chances in life. I couldn't be more thrilled. Yeah, you are a very fortunate person, but you're also a very talented and knowledgeable person. That's why you've gotten to do both of those things. Gary Honig, the editorial director of the Players' Tribune, and Jeter Publishing. Thanks for joining us on Sports Business Radio. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for having me. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Podcast this show and any other past SBR episode at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back with more SBR, powered by Postano, after this. Welcome to Baby, take control. Hi, it's Brian Berger. Here at Sports Business Radio, we are proud to work with our partners, Pastano. They make a sports-proven visual marketing platform that I've personally been amazed to see. Teams like the Dallas Cowboys, Boston Red Sox, LA Kings, and Cleveland Cavaliers all use Pastano to engage their fans. When sports teams and fans tell their stories together, amazing things can happen. Every fan has a story. Whether you want to put selfies on the Jumbotron, create a dynamic social media command center, or activate a hashtag campaign on your website, Pastano can design an amazing social experience true to your brand. Even better, using the Pastano platform can pay for itself through selling sponsorships. As an example, the Kings sell sponsor space to Toyota and other clients and run the ads using Pastano. Want to see what your team's social content could look like? Schedule a demo today. Go to pastano.com slash sports. If you're a fan of this podcast, you understand the real power of engaging your fans. And these guys get it. That is P-O-S-T-A-N-O dot com. This is Sports Business Radio. We are back to wrap up this edition of Sports Business Radio. Very excited to tell you about a partnership that we have with FanDuel. First week of the football season is in the books. How'd your fantasy team do? Did you win money? No? You can on FanDuel this weekend. Don't miss out anymore. FanDuel is the leader in one-week fantasy football with more winners and more payouts than any other site. The money is real. They're paying out over $75 million a week this football season. Building a team is easy. Just pick your players, stay under the salary cap, and sit back on Sunday and watch your team win. Entry fees start at just $1. Anyone can play. Go to FanDuel.com, click on the microphone in the upper right-hand corner, and use my code SBR, like Sports Business Radio, and sign up now. Again, go to FanDuel.com, click on the microphone in the upper right-hand corner, use my code SBR, and sign up now. Special offer for new users. For every dollar you deposit, FanDuel will match it with up to 200 bucks that gets earned as you play. That's a bonus of up to $200. The offer is only good for the first 50 people that use my code SBR today. Don't forget to use my code SBR. FanDuel.com, where every day is a new season. That's FanDuel.com. Sign up today. We look forward to playing against our listeners. We'll have that set up very soon. But again, go to FanDuel.com, use the promo code SBR. All right. I want to thank Gary Honig, the 
uh, editorial director of the Players Tribune and of Jeter Publishing for joining me on Sports Business Radio this week. Really insightful conversation. Love what they're doing with the Players Tribune. Cannot wait for our Sports PR Summit to take place at their headquarters on May 17th. For more information on that, go to sportsprsummit.com. I want to thank our show staff, Brian Griggs, Josh Blank, and Doug Zanger. Thanks to our friends at Postano for powering Sports Business Radio. Follow them online at postano.com or on Twitter at Postano. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast. Just go to iTunes and type in Sports Business Radio rated in the top 100 business news podcasts. You can also find our show via the TuneIn Radio and Stitcher apps. And we just launched a page on Audioboom. So go to audioboom.com and look for Sports Business Radio. Follow me on Twitter at SB Radio. Our Twitter feed was named to the top 100 sports business must-follows on Twitter by Forbes.com. Thank you for that. And, uh, boy, great show this week. Looking forward to next week's show. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. It's good to be alive right about now. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is David Stern. He's the commissioner of the NBA. It is always a pleasure, Brian. Bill Hancock. He's the executive director of the Bull Championship Series. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. My guest is Mickey Loomis. He's the executive vice president and general manager of the world champion New Orleans Saints. Pleasure to be with you guys. Mr. Allen, thanks for joining me. Thank you. My guest is Mark Emmert. He's the president of the NCAA. Oh, happy to join you. My pleasure. My guest is Eric Spolstra. He's the head coach of the Miami Heat. Brian, appreciate it. Glad to, uh, glad to be on the show. Mr. Nicholas, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Brian. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our free iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio.